Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. But there will be no more gloom for her who is in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the land of the shadow of death, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall make great their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall shatter the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. The rod of their taskmaster, as at the battle of Midian, every boot of the booted warrior in the rumbling of battle, and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. With this background and this context, we have the promise that we celebrated at Christmas, for a child will be born to us, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, a son will be given to us. A gift. It's a gift from God to the nation. And they'll find out also to the whole world. And the government will rest on his shoulders. He will be the one in charge. Government will be on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of Yahweh of hosts will accomplish this. The Lord sends a message against Jacob and it falls on Israel. Often, let me say this parenthetically, often we read the scriptures and there are a number of things God is communicating and themes that seem to be opposites. But that's the nature of the situation. The people that have turned away from the Lord, God's own people, have to be called to account for that. At the same time, God is so good. He's so gracious. He's so faithful to the people he made his covenant with, beginning with and primarily with Abraham and the patriarchs, that he remembers that hundreds of years later, thousands of years and forever. And yet the people that will benefit, even though the light it's mentioned about Jesus Christ, this child, this son, is coming into the land of Israel, born in Bethlehem. 
And they are the primary and first beneficiaries of God's great gift of salvation. Still, God has a complaint against them. Just like when Jesus came, so during Isaiah's time, the people that are given the blessing, not everyone makes use of the blessing. Not everyone gets to enjoy the blessing. And so in the midst of this tremendous promise about a Messiah that's coming, about the God-man, because it's written that Jesus will carry the name of his Father, Eternal Father. Jesus is not the Father. He's the Son. The Father is not the Son. Neither is the Spirit, either one of them. However, they're one divine deity. Not three gods, but one God. This God has promised for us in our situations where we are in darkness. Some of us know periods in our lives when we were in total darkness. Some even after they've come to know the light, Jesus Christ. How is that possible? Because we have the ability to switch off the light if we want to. Contrary to popular belief today, we have the ability to cause God to step back and be grieved. Not just in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. And so the warnings are there, in some ways even more dramatic and drastic in the New Testament against those who know God. We just have to read Acts chapter 5. But in the midst of it, God knowing all things, and he knows everybody's hearts. He knows there will be a people among the people who will listen and say, I like the light. I thank God for the light. I'm going to live in the light. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have to deal with the rest of the people. God is very responsible as the sovereign ruler of the universe. Everyone must stand and appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 8, the Lord sends a message against Jacob and it falls on Israel. Synonymous, Israel is Jacob, Jacob is Israel. And all the people know it. That is, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria saying in lofty pride and in arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild it. We will rebuild with cut stones. The sycamores have been cut in pieces, but we will replace them with cedars. Therefore, Yahweh exalts against them adversaries from resin and incites their enemies, the Arameans on the east and the Philistines on the west. Many times things go wrong in our lives because we have spoken and done arrogantly against God's very commands. And so what God does is he allows people and things, situations to be stirred up against us to get our attention so that we can do the one thing, the only thing that will get us back to God, which is to repent. But no one repents, truly, unless they're humbled. And no one humbles himself unless they understand that they're dealing with the Holy God. 
the Almighty One, and that they are nothing. God stirs up trouble, not because God likes to stir up trouble. God stirs up trouble because the people have caused trouble. We heard in the morning recap that Ahab, when he got sight of Elijah, he said, have you come, troubler of Israel? And it was Elijah who said, I'm not the troubler. I'm not the troublemaker. It's you and your father's house. Because they brought in other gods. Many Christians, unfortunately, like the heathen, they decide to take a nap when they like to, away from God's spoken revelation. That he's watching everything. And God sees if we make trouble for his kingdom. And if that's the case, it's written in the scriptures that God will bring trouble on us. But it's never outside of his absolute love that will do everything possible within moral justice. Moral justice meaning not just justice, but that which is righteousness according to God's heart, who is full of loving kindness and mercy. As we heard again this morning in the message that Pastor gave, there is a limit to that too. There has to be. The reason being, God has to preserve order in the universe, just like a person on the job. A boss or supervisor has to preserve order. It can't be nice to everyone, no matter what they do. There's a bigger picture in mind. And when it comes to God, his character is involved. And he's the ultimate righteous holy one. So God brings trouble on who? His own people. His own people, the inhabitants of Samaria, Ephraim. Two more names, just like Jacob and Israel, that stands for the nation. Not just the locality, but also for the nation. Many times in scripture. So he's talking to everyone, in short. Everyone that makes sure that you humbly receive, what did he say? The spectacular promise. I'm going to send the Messiah. Can the Messiah solve all our troubles? That's why God sent him. And he went around solving people's troubles. First and foremost, the trouble of mankind is a departure from God. But the Lord went and did dramatic wonders to the physical situation many times of the people. Whether concerning their shortage financially or food-wise or their trouble in their sickness, in the mourning, in the oppression. He came and set them free so that they can know that he's the everlasting one who can give them eternal life. He did it in measure. God does that in our lives and in our families. He does so much good to us. And he's waiting to see whether anyone would repent and turn to him and humble themselves and say, Lord, it's not going to be me running my life. It's not even going to be 50-50. Lord, not even 90-10. 
90% you rule my life and 10% I do what I want. No, 100% because you are the Lord God Almighty who put breath into me and who died for me. You made me and you died for me. Is there anything left? God owns us. But because he is love, and he's given us the capacity to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. He waits to see who will be wise and turn to him. And he will solve all our troubles. In his perfect time, every one of our troubles will be solved. The reason being, he's perfect. He never does anything halfway. He does not finish any uh, job halfway. Leave it halfway. He doesn't walk away from it. He completes it perfectly. And he's come to establish justice and righteousness. And he's called the Prince of Peace. Sometimes we can think that, God, I can't expect too much of you. Theoretically and religiously, we may say, no, 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 God is perfect. I understand that. And God, he's a problem solver. Yes, and he's everything. But practically and truly, sometimes we can be in a mode of thinking that I can't expect everything to work out. Well, maybe not immediately, but they will because God is with us and he's perfect. We have to believe that God is who he says he is. So he's making this tremendous promise, but then he's dealing with the people who are what? In verse nine, lofty pride and arrogance. What is it? It's a classic picture of a self-made man, a self-made woman. Even if God should come and bring trouble to get our attention so we can be saved. Because if we continue being let alone, we'll end up in hell. God in his mercy allows situations to come to humble us. So we don't fall and get destroyed. But we will get chastened. But instead of turning to him, they say, Lord, whatever you knock down, I can build it up again. A proverbial babble. Tower of Babel scenario all over again. People babble before God. They say all kinds of things and they think all kinds of things against the Holy God. This message in Isaiah 9, and as it's being expounded, it is desperately needed in the church at large. Because many people are treating God as an emergency, emergency rescue provision. They don't care to follow God and say, Lord, how do you want me to raise my children? How many Christians do you know really ask that question? Lord, I don't have the wisdom. Doesn't matter. How many children I have? How long I've been a mother or father? How many people have taught me? Lord, I need your wisdom. I need to hear your wisdom. That wisdom will come through godly people many times. But it takes humility and care that I want to do life God's way. Lord, how should I 
do my business and how should I enter into contracts and have business partnerships? Lord, how do I behave with my neighbors? Many people will say, well, you should love them. The Lord said, after all, love your neighbor as you love yourself. They forget the full import of that latter half. That was explained recently in the messages also. That we need to protect our souls. God never called us to love our neighbor above God or even ourselves. Because truly, if we love others as we love ourselves, if that love is sincere, that love will seek to be in line with God's will. And anyone who's not in line with God's will, we will communicate through our life testimony and our communication verbally exactly what a surrendered life to Christ looks like. At that point, they're face to face with the truth through you and me. At that point, if they reject it, we have no business trying to please them. And against and under all assaults of the Christian life with the false charge of not being loving, just like Jesus, we'll be able to stand our ground knowing that we're pleasing the Father. That we pray. The knowledge of the Holy One, that's wisdom. It's understanding. God will show us how to navigate life, even with relatives, friends and neighbors, employees and employers, colleagues. There's a right way and a wrong way. And the life that we're called to live is not one of fear and anxiety and superstition. But it's a life that is to be carefully walked exactly in the light as he is in the light. Verse 11, therefore, Yahweh exalts against them these adversaries. And he mentions who? These are physical people, their neighbors. You have the Syrians. And you have the Philistines. In many of the passages, God talks about the Edomites in the south. He talks about the people up there in the north, which is now Lebanon. He talks about Egypt, southwest. He talks about Far East in their world, Far East, meant Babylon and Assyria. All kinds of people, Midianites and Moabites. All of them were subdued. They couldn't lift a finger. In fact, they were trembling when they heard David's name. They dare not speak against Solomon when they were following God. Sometimes we need to hear this again and again that whatever trouble comes our way, we must ask God the question and if we don't know the answer or if we want to confirm it, Lord, have I done anything to open the door for this to happen? Because it's no use singing the worship songs and listening to a positive message and get all the support from support groups and pastors who love me and everybody supporting me if there's sin in my life, if I've opened the door, if I've compromised, if there's some 
folly that has happened, if something I've left undone, if there is carelessness. But nobody talks about that. They all pat me on the back and say, you're doing a great job. God loves you. And what happens? I'll be in a total self-deception, thinking that, well, I'm waiting on God. How many people have you heard say that? People that if you look at their lives squarely against the revelation of God in the scriptures, they're not walking with God. There's lots of compromise. But they will say, I'm waiting on God for my deliverance. And who has the boldness and the integrity and the revelation and the walk with God to be able to say, you know, God wants you to consider this area in which you've compromised the truth. Take care of that and God will come through. Then there are cases where people are following God. They are getting closer to the Lord and the devil stepping up his game. When they honestly look at their lives like Job and they ask the Lord sincerely and humbly, not casually, but truly. And they have the affirmation, the confirmation from God that you fear me. You take my word and covenant seriously. You actually love me more than your spouse or your children or your neighbors or anyone. It's okay. I will rise up against your enemies. It's just a matter of my appointed time. We come away with a confidence. Israel couldn't say that. Verse 12, the Arameans on the east and the Philistines on the west, and they devour Israel with gaping jaws. Can you imagine the indignation of the Lord? If anyone should touch the apple of his eye, he rises up in fury. The only problem is these people, his own people, were acting like his enemies. So he couldn't be morally just and perfect to rise up against the enemies right now. His own people need to repent. This is a repeat scenario that we have to be aware of. Otherwise, we'll be kidding ourselves playing church. Every person in God's kingdom, in the church, the body and the bride of Christ, is responsible to walk in a manner well-pleasing to God and prosperity will follow. Enemies will be put down. God will step in, change everything. He will, in fact, he says he will perfect. Psalm 138, he will perfect that which concerns us. He will make a full, complete, beautiful end of the plan he has for us all. We're going to win. But that's not what's happening here. That's not what is being prophesied here. This is danger. They're in the danger zone before an almighty God. His own people are in danger before him. There are those Christians who ignorantly and oftentimes willfully ignorantly, which is worse than being just ignorant, willfully ignorant, will presume to say, this is Old Testament. We're under grace. God will never speak like this or do anything like this. Again, read Acts chapter 5. See what happened to the husband and wife in the midst of a tremendous revival, work of the Holy Spirit in their midst. All kinds of signs and wonders. God breaking in and saving thousands upon thousands. This husband and wife had the nerve to lie to God's servant. 
And God's servant Peter said, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Peter's not the Holy Spirit. But he was so full of the Holy Spirit that God himself put those words in Peter's mouth. Because when they lied one after the other to the servant of God, God killed them on the spot. And it said great fear came upon the whole church. People started taking notice. Where? After Jesus died on the cross, ushered in the kingdom of heaven, the atonement with his holy blood, the absolute fulfillment of all of the covenantal prophecies for the ultimate deliverance of God's people in the world. The blood. While under the blood, just like the angels Peter reports about later, who are in heaven worshiping, all was well, but they betrayed the Lord. They turned against the Holy One. God cast them out with Lucifer. How is it possible in heaven that can happen? It was an age where just men made perfect. We're not there yet. Where the absolute consummation of God's program was not complete. So the angels that will not remain, but they turned against God, they were cast out. Heaven was cleansed. God was not the author of the rebellion. Heaven was clean and pure. But the free will of these beings, beginning with Lucifer, exercised the free will. In an evil way. God says in the Bible. That people. Certain things that people do. God himself has said through the prophets. I never even imagined something like this. It never entered into my mind. My heart. Can you imagine God saying that? The one who knows all things. He said. This evil never entered my mind. God himself is shocked. People who say God's not surprised and they like to tack that on to faulty doctrine to make people feel, oh, God is a pushover. You're being lied to by wolves in sheep's clothing. God was shocked. But that's the nature of the exercise of the will of free moral agents to choose to do the right thing or the wrong thing. God's not involved when they pick the wrong thing at all. So God's people here, they made a choice. Oh, God's good. We have rain. We have sunshine. We have all the stuff in the promised land. And I know some days won't be as smooth as the others, as the others, but it's okay. It's a little bumps in the road. Never mind. Checking our hearts. Never mind the promise of God to protect me and prosper me and grow me in his grace. There's a difference between going through affliction and trouble and even disaster and tragedy. Being perfectly submitted to the will of the Father. And going through the same things or similar things. Having made a league with Satan. How? Letting my kids watch cartoons 
that are anti-God. Who would have ever thought a preacher would say that? Cartoons? The devil will inject his lies and poison and evil attitudes that touch even Christian children because of the indiscriminate attitude of the parents. They don't know all of the little things that are coming through, even a seemingly innocent Christian cartoon. Who would even bother to talk about this or think about this? Those who know what it is by the mercy of God and who protect themselves and their children. It's no use wondering why is my kid like this when we have not guarded the gates to their minds, their eyes, their ears. It's like putting a pacifier in the mouth of a child putting that child in front of a TV set where the parent goes on and does more important things. Tragedy of tragedies, folly of follies, when a parent doesn't see that the number one reason God gave the child is so that we may nurture the child in the fear and admonition of the Lord, which actually means full joy and full love. These people couldn't care less about their children. They didn't care about offending God themselves. Imagine God saying this through the prophet. They're talking about me, Isaiah. Who? My people. They're saying in lofty pride and in arrogance of heart, God, whatever happens, whatever, we'll be all right, God. Don't, don't get too... Upset God. We'll be okay. Have you ever heard people counsel God? Have you ever heard people counsel God's servants? Almost amusing, if not tragic. Too many people want to talk today when God is speaking. Too many people want to pray today. When God is praying through the servant of God. It's not a question of putting one human being above another. It's not a contest of who's more important. It's God's spirit. Ananias and Sapphira, they didn't come to that blatant lying through their teeth right to the Holy Spirit who was speaking through Peter overnight. There was conversation occurring before that because both husband and wife were talking just like grandma and grandchild in many homes. They're accomplices. Oh, they may not necessarily talk to each other and shock everybody and go rob a bank together, grandma and grandchild. They could evade taxes together. They could lie on the school form together. They can do a lot of things and that'll build up to one whole lie. Generation full of deceitful people. If anyone thinks or considers, you know, this message is really not for me. I was hoping to hear something that will boost me up. Much of the Bible, God speaking in much of the Bible is against this kind of stuff. What do I do? 
as a Christian, can I go from Genesis to Malachi and Matthew to Revelation and say, well, I'm going to just concentrate on the one third of the Bible, the the small portion, you know, because I really don't want to hear this message. And we're really saying, God, I think you made a mistake when you gave me the whole Bible. God, you know, it's for the bad people, the bad Christians. I'm a good Christian, Lord. So would you please give me, uh, let me see, mm, maybe Third John, uh, a few of the Psalms, God, and, uh, you know, when Abraham prospered and Isaac got rich. Give me those, Lord. It's okay if I have a slim version of the Bible. The rest of the stuff is really irrelevant to me, and it's hurting my ears, and it's giving me indigestion, Lord. This is the truth of where many people are at. They can't even discern, much less digest what God is saying and why. But the person that is all years to whatever God will say anytime will profit because all scripture is God-breathed, is given by inspiration for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. What scripture? The totality of scripture. That means from Genesis to Revelation. Every chapter, in every book, every verse. Have you come to that conclusion? Or is there a division within yourself that, you know, come to think of it, I really don't treat all scripture as equal. I think I need to repent of that. I'm selective. Instead of saying, Father, you lead me and speak to me. And that's how, when people ignore that approach to hearing God's word and going to God for his counsel, his word for the hour, they don't even know what's going on in their own backyard. They love to talk about politics and that person and this person and and prosperity. But as far as the many open doors where demons are freely going in and out, bringing more all the time, assaulting the children and the spouse, there's no wisdom. Lots of open doors and lots of compromise. But that's what God is speaking to here. He's revealing. Thank God. God is not one who crosses his arms and says, well, I'm going to let you figure it out. I'm, I'm sick and tired of you. Oh, I thank God. How patient he is and how good he is. He will tell us if we want to know right away what the problem is so we can get it fixed. And he will help us to fix it. But it's when people, Christians, who have so much pride that they think, I can handle it. I can wing this. It's not a big deal. I don't think God's talking to me. That they shut the door God's divine help. And they begin to cruise. They're on cruise control in a no man's land in the wilderness. And every time a storm comes, they know how to shoot their lip. On the one hand, they say, God, I don't know why this is happening. On the other hand, oh, I have some Christians around, pastors. Well, praise God, God's going to solve it. Never mind. Actually sitting down and saying, wait a minute. God, have I opened the door anywhere in disobedience to your commandments? 
Have I neglected my duties in my own home to preserve godliness by seeking you myself first and foremost? Has the errands of the day and the things I like to do and people pleasing taken priority over God pleasing and God's business? These enemies in verse 12 are devouring Israel with gaping jaws. The whole mouth is open. In other words, Israel doesn't stand a chance. But through it all, God is calling them. Don't you see what's happening? God is saying many times, what will it take for you to stop killing yourself? Many, many respectable Christians who have a nine to five or five to 12 or 12 to eight, five to one, I should say, whatever it is, they think it's the guy that's out on the street. Did you hear about that Christian family? Did you hear about them? Oh, oh they have divorce, marriages on the rocks. Oh, somebody doing something wrong. And did you hear about their kids over there and what she did and how she dressed and what they did over there? Oh, well, I guess they better get to seeking God. For me, I'm fine because I can open the fridge while I talk like that about the other people who are really messed up. But us, we're, we're pretty good because we have food in the fridge fancy car or two outside, maybe three, a home or two. And uh, we actually get to set our alarm clocks and get up when we want. We're the king of the hill. We're okay. We're functioning. Functional, proud, sinful, quote-unquote, Christians. How? Because they're so busy like that man who stood at the temple looking at this guy who's beating his chest, not even lifting his eyes up. He's in trouble, all right? Thank God, Lord, I thank you that uh, I get to tithe and I'm doing this and that. You know how much I love you, Lord. And, oh, Lord, by the way, you see this guy here, Lord? See this family? See that Christian? Tisk tisk. Poor, miserable guy. God, and I'm so thankful that I'm not like this guy. Who? Ah, the Christian that can hold his liquor. That's who? The one who doesn't make a fool of himself by sleeping by the gutter outside for everybody to see. He's having his respectable wine of glass, going to work, taking the car for a car wash, bringing McDonald's home to the kids putting on his favorite slippers, having his massage, favorite food, nightly news. And many Christians, first thing in the morning is WCBS News, 1010 wins. Well, I got to hear the news because I have to be a responsible citizen. As if the news from this world is going to dictate their deliverance rather than the word that comes from God, which is the most current, most potent, 
All of these things are incongruities. These things are wrong. The things that are neglected are wrong. When family prayer is neglected because we got too busy today, who feels in their conscience, I did wrong by God and I'm going to fix this. So help me God. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive our family. Ah, but these are hidden things. So what? I missed my devotion. Who's watching? Who's keeping score? So I rushed it today and I'll do it for a week. I'll do it for a month. But externally, everybody thinks I'm the greatest, coolest person. Fine Christian. The point is, the accumulation of before God what is unconscionable. The little things, quote unquote, that negligible things, that respectable sins are exactly what will lead up to a disaster. God is saying, how long will it take? What will it take? How long will it take? You need to love the Lord and fear Him. God will prosper us and through the storms that are sent with the eyes of love from God as Job went through, things that may seem mysterious at first, many times. Because we don't know the big picture, but we know the God we trust will never leave us nor forsake us. He's working all things for good. Together for good to them that love God. Not the one who says it and sings it, the one who actually practices love. How do you practice love according to the Bible? By keeping God's word, doing what he says. Plain and simple. In his love, his hands are stretched out. Yet the people do not turn back to him who struck them. In other words, God is the one who sent the chastening. And he had to step it up. But what do they do? Not seek God at all. What does God do? There's a limit to his patience. As we heard about the amazing grace this morning, eternal grace, there's a limit because within the scope of God's moral justice and holiness, a person who continues to abuse the grace of God will find out about the justice of God for sure. So God, Yahweh, cuts off head and tail from Israel, both palm branch and bulrush in a single day. Why all of this? Why couldn't the whole chapter just be from verses 6 to 7? About Jesus. About prosperity and deliverance and justice and perfect peace. Closeness with God. Why all of this? Because this is reality. They don't want God's reality. They've chosen Satan's reality. And God has to deal with it. The head is the elder. And the highly respected man. And the prophet who teaches falsehood is the tail. The highly respected man literally is the one whose face is lifted up. Things are not right. The leaders are the head. But what kind of people are they? 
You see in verse 16, people who mislead others. They have led them down the path of destruction. So the leaders and the prophets, they're all liars. What a grief to God. When we read the scriptures, we should feel the pain that the people put God through. Same time, think about the pain we put God through. If we have. Because it has to be dealt with. We cannot cover it up. But if we're walking with God, as we're reading this and hearing this, we should feel the pain again. Lord, they're hurting you. The people that are not walking with you. Lord, I thank you that I'm walking with you. What does walking with God mean? That means doing what he says. If a person can't say that I have obeyed God's commandment in the last five years of my life, to the best of my knowledge, the truth is you have not been walking with God. That's a whole lie. Because it's written in 1 John chapter 2, if anyone says he is in the light, as he is in the light, the person have to, has to walk like that. They have to walk like that. Walk talks about character and living. They have to live like Jesus. Otherwise, the only option is, the only alternative is, the person is in darkness. So before someone says, I've been walking with, the, with God for 30 years. I've been walking with the Lord. We're not talking about ultimate perfection. Because there's a growth. We're talking about cancellation, negation of presumptuous activity against God. Willfulness and sinning against God repeatedly. Doesn't matter how many Bible studies we led. How many churches we opened up or how many people we witnessed to. You can be a evangelism machine. People know you as evangelist Bill, perhaps. Because on the job everywhere, you don't miss a beat. Stocked with tracks, carrying 3,000 with you. In your car, in your jacket, in your sleeve, in your collar. Practically coming out of your shirt pocket. In the restaurant, on the highways, in the byways. Every relative, oh, they know that wacky Bill. He's an evangelist extraordinaire. But God wants to know, is he a fool for Christ or just a fool? Because a fool for Christ in the eyes of the world, wise person before God's eyes, will be a person who will take God's commands seriously and do what he says. Woe to the person who presumes to say, I have been walking with the Lord. Doesn't matter if it's a bishop, archbishop, or homeless person, and anyone in between. If I haven't been obeying God, I have not been walking with God. What Bible are people reading? The head is the elder and the highly respected man and the prophet who teaches falsehood is the tale. For those who guide this people are leading them astray. And those who are guided by them are brought to confusion. Now God doesn't come to condemn or indict people and say, we well, haven't been walking and that, that's it for you. No. It's the recognition that, Lord, I, I haven't even understood why I've been speaking. I thought I was so wise, Lord, but the closer I get to you, the more I hear your undiluted word, I see the gravity of the matter that I really can't claim to have walked with you if I've been engaging in presumptuous sin. 
But Lord, I really want to walk with you, starting now. So help me, Lord. And then when God says, that's wonderful, throw this out. If we delay, we've been lying to God in asking for his help to help us to walk with him. When he said, sever that tie, and we don't, we've been lying to God. When he says, I want you to rearrange your schedule and make more time to spend with me one-on-one, -on -one, and we don't, we're not interested in walking with God. And you know what people do? Those lifted heads, lifted eyes, lifted faces, will search and scan the horizon. I want to find Christians just like me so I can flock with them and we'll have a big jamboree celebration. We'll kid each other, but no one's telling. Because, you know, in this gala, everybody's a star. And we all come together to affirm one another and empower one another. The women have their meetings on motherhood and babyhood and sisterhood while they're hoods. And so do the men. Brotherhood and manhood. But ultimately, they're just hoods. Because nobody's interested. Getting before the Lord, it's seasonal, you see. They get this adrenaline pump and jump. But the day-to-day, -day, talking to God and saying, make me holy, Father. Cleanse me, Lord. Purify my heart, Lord. Oh, Lord, I don't want to leave this life without accomplishing your perfect will. Who's doing that? Praise God, there are some, not many. This is what God was talking about. This is what he was looking for. After all, he gave everything to these people. They saw signs and wonders, extraordinaire. God himself was a sign and wonder. And so did Ananias and Sapphira. But you see, there was a leak. It started with a pinhole in the family. God was warning, but they said, oh, hum, we're not going to beat ourselves over this. It's just a pinhole. Look, come on. If there's a leak the size of a pinhole, I do my mathematical fancy calculation, and I think I can conclusively hypothesize that it's going to take about a million years for our family room to get filled up and flooded with the stuff that we don't want. It's just a pinhole. But before next Tuesday, the pinhole will become a window. And that's how the sin of neglect and despising God's prompting to take care of matters which the devil paint as negligible and small and oh, come on. I don't feel like dealing with it now. We'll overtake the person. That's what happened to this country. God's own people. Confusion came in. In fact, it's like uh, the political climate in many countries today. Even in a democracy, 
the people that are elected reflect the people that elected them. Is it not true? Verse 17, confusion comes. Therefore, the Lord is glad, not glad in their choice men, nor does he have compassion on their orphans or their widows. Isn't he the defender of the fatherless and the widow? What happened? Are we reading scripture here? Imagine somebody saying in a sermon or on the street somewhere, or you hear a conversation and they say, God doesn't have compassion on the orphans and widows. Many people call that absolutely scandalous, unbiblical, evil. How dare you say that about God? God is saying it about himself. Not to put down his character, but he's saying it in reference to the people he's dealing with. They're so evil. That they have, they've become an abhorrence in his sight. Abominable. For every one of them is godless and an evildoer. Once again, should we be reading Isaiah today? I think if most people heard of preaching like this, from this text and the relevance to where we are, many, many churches will be emptied out. But so what? So what? One with God is a majority. On that day, God will show who's true and who's false. Baal had many prophets. One evening, they're wiped out. All of them. Elijah not only was standing, he was victorious. And Elijah was taken up by a whirlwind, chariot of fire to heaven. God says every mouth is speaking wicked foolishness. We need to read Isaiah, every book of the Bible. The more we read in our private time, in our family worship, and we hear the sermons with an ear, to hear God's voice, God will begin to part the sea in front of us. God will begin to remove the mountain. He'll begin to intervene powerfully in our lives so that we can become blazing torches in his hand to bring light, just as we read here. Not only to the land of Naphtali, Zebulun, by the Sea of Galilee, as Jesus did, but like Jesus all world will hear through your life and your family. But God's gospel, his goodness, and his wonderful plan of salvation, because we're walking in it. For every one of them is godless and an evildoer, and every mouth is speaking wicked foolishness. In spite of all this, his anger does not turn back and his hand is still stretched out. On the one hand, God holds back his anger, as mentioned in scripture. We may interpret this at face value, as I did back in verse 12. 
that he holds back his anger. And many times it's written, God was not willing to destroy them. He actually curbed his anger. And certainly in this chapter, he did not act swiftly the moment he saw falsehood because he's so gracious. So he did hold back his anger. That's why it came to this point where he moved other people to come against them. He could have wiped them out, opened the earth up right then and there as he did before in the time of Moses. Who did he open up the earth to swallow? People among his own tribes. He could have done it again, but he held back. Then again, it's written. He's not going to hold back his anger anymore. He's going to stretch out his hand until the destruction is complete. For who? The godless and evildoer in every mouth that is speaking wicked foolishness. Verse 18, for wickedness burns, for wickedness burns like a fire. It consumes briars and thorns. It even sets the thickets of the forest aflame. And they roll upward in a column of smoke. By the fury of Yahweh of hosts, the land is burned up. And the people, Isaiah is just reporting. He's getting revelation, but he's also reporting, just like Jeremiah. The people are like fuel for the fire. No man spares his brother. We've heard, even in the recent message, New Year's, that the portion of scripture where Israelites were eating their own children. My God, what is going on? People say that is absolutely unbelievable. Talking about cooking each other's children. Oh, disgusting. And today they're killing the children even before they come out of the womb. And when they come out, same sacrifice to Molech in a sophisticated medical setting. Satan's winning, destroying lives. There are Christian parents and families who are able to push that underneath the sand and underneath the carpet instead of mourning before the Lord. The life that's been destroyed by themselves or a family member. They said, God, I'm going to make it my mission to speak to other people, especially believers. This must not happen. We need to be on God's side. Lots of chaos is happening today. Many, many scandals. I heard from a faculty member of a Christian college about a year ago, a year and a half ago. And he said, there's been a adultery in my church and we're having a tough time dealing with the person. It's actually very commonplace when you talk to many people who lead churches. Isn't God raging against this? First Corinthians 5, he said the people are not even ashamed. They're boasting. He said you should have expelled that person right away. What are you doing? 
Many, many Christians today do not even know God properly. They don't even know what God requires and how to walk. They're living under the umbrella of false grace and flocking together with people who are deceiving themselves, thinking they're walking with God. By the fury of Yahweh of hosts, the land is burned up and the people are like fuel for the fire. No man spares his brother. They slice off what is on the right hand, but still are hungry. And they eat what is on the left hand, but they are not satisfied. Each of them eats the flesh of his own arm. Talk about graphic language. Even worse than that. The reporting of the actual event. We just need to spend a little bit of time with honesty and humility in God's presence to be able to see that we're not far off from what God is describing here. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about, as is written in Second Timothy 3, within the church. Is God telling the truth? Do we decide to move to where it's pleasant and comfy? Do we pick vacation spots to get away from it all? Or do we go on our faces before God and say, Lord, you are the problem solver. You're the holy one. You're my father. We have problem in the family. Help me, Lord. Oh, Jesus, help us. And stay before God until the answer comes. Too busy. Too deluded many times. And for those who are not in that camp, are really thinking, you know, this is resonating with me, what I'm hearing, because this is what I read in Scripture. I'm close to God and I'm hearing what God has been saying. It's the truth. We can't ignore it. And we have the responsibility to speak it when God leads, no matter what. Because it is God's word, not our word. And it's God's love that moves us to speak it so people will know the depth of their departure from God in the Christian community in these last days. For those people, there's a consolation. Thank God I'm not part of that problem. I was, but no more. I fear the living God. I love the Lord. And I'm yielded to Him. And I'm getting rid of this ugly thing called lofty pride. I don't want it in my life. Father, whatever you say. And there's an there's a tranquility. There's a not an idgity and fussiness and impulsivity. There's a there's a peace. There's a dependency upon the Lord when to speak and when not to speak and what to speak and how to speak and who to speak to and who not to speak to. There's a complete surrender and a longing for more of that. There's a confidence in the midst of the chaos for the person who's really close to God and walking with God. And God will use that person to wake up somebody else. Manasseh devours Ephraim and Ephraim Manasseh. Family feud. This one's chewing that one out. This one's chewing that one out. The other one's chewing this one. Literally devouring. Paul says that in the New Testament too. He said, but if you bite and devour each other, what will happen? 
they have this strife. Be careful. When trouble is in the family and trouble is in the church, trouble comes to our lives, we need to get really quiet before God except to say, Father, please show me. And stay there without talking further so that God can speak and show and he will show to the person who's quiet and humble. And then not run off and tell 10 people about it and what I've got, but to walk in a state of brokenness, asking God to use us to be part of the solution by being godly, walking as Jesus walked in the home, in the church, and in the world. And together they're against Judah. In spite of all this, his anger does not turn back and his hand is still stretched out. Well, this is a another chapter another typical revelation in the prophets where different themes as I said are running through the same chapter tremendous optimistic prophecies the solution, the Messiah, right there, Isaiah chapter 9. He's on the way. People who are in the darkness, they're going to see a light. They're going to be freed up from their anguish and the gloom, oh, the heaviness of life, the problems upon problems. God is saying, I'm coming. I'm coming to help you. In fact, I'm sending my son, eternal father, wonderful, Counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace. He's going to take over. Don't worry. That's the truth from God. At the same time he says, but not everybody is eligible. Because in this nation at this time, he said, everyone is corrupt. Obviously, Isaiah people like Hezekiah, they don't fall into the category. Just like when we read the scriptures, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of them has turned back to his own way. It's a general statement, but also it includes just about everyone. It's just a handful who are exempt. So we read the scripture in context, we know. Certainly, Isaiah is not part of the everyone, even though he says everyone. God says everyone. He's in the country. He's not included. It's understood. Neither is people, neither are people like Hezekiah. And godly people around him. But he's saying there's so much going on that I'm going to strike so that the people that are humble and broken through this chaotic time, I'll bring them through like gold. They will be established with my peace. Shall we pray? Blessed be your name, Lord. Thank you for opening, Father, our hearts to hear your word to show us 
again from your book, things that we don't make up, but it's in your book. The book that is the most current, most up-to-date, truth-containing, revelation from heaven that causes us to fear the living God and to walk with you humbly, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. Lord, that we begin to cry after you for you, not simply for what you can do for us in our jobs and our families, but come to the point where we love you for you, Lord, even as you love this for us. Oh, beautiful Savior. Thank you, Lord. And thank you that you help us in our situation still. You love us, Lord, and you do miraculous things, Lord. Signs and wonders still abound in the life of a child of God who's walking with him. People's hearts have changed radically. Suddenly, because the Spirit of God is at work. And people do get promotions. Suddenly, the least likely of the people are lifted up. Just like you said, Lord. From the dunghill to be seated with the princes of your people. You do all these things, Lord. You are the God who exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. You're still the same. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. As we continue, Lord, in this meeting, I pray that your spirit will continue to work in us to draw us ever closer to the God who's coming soon. In the meantime, Lord, to live a life that will be pleasing to you and be productive to be a blessing to many, many people, Lord. People that we know and people that we don't know. That your light will come through us to them to turn their hearts to you that they may be saved and follow you. And to call many Christians, Lord, who are actually backslidden and lukewarm. They're in danger and they don't know it. Lord, to be instruments of righteousness, to be able to speak to them without fear of man, without seeking to please man, but in sincere love, speaking a truth so they can wake up and see where they've allowed demons to enter their families and churches. To band together in Jesus' name. To expel the wicked that they may please you in your supernatural activity and your plan can go forward in their lives as in ours. We thank you, O Father. In Jesus' name, amen.